Good afternoon. It's good to see all of you. It's always a blessing to see the, the people of God in the house of God together, ready to receive his word. If you would, turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to continue our time there, Colossians 3. And we're going to pick up at verse um, 18 and We're going to read only four verses there, but I'm only going to deal with two. My intention was to deal with four, uh, but these are two big subjects, I guess, uh, speaking about wives and husbands and um, the marriage relationship. And so uh, we're going to just focus on that today, if that's okay. Is that all right? Amen? Amen. All right. Okay, um, Colossians 3, beginning at verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything. For this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. And we pray that you would help us now as we contemplate all that is before us, Lord. We pray that... um, Your spirit, Lord, would give the illumination that we might see plainly what your word says and what it means in its context as the writer meant it. We pray that by the power of your spirit, Lord, uh, we will come to know your truths and we will leave here changed people. Uh, Lord, we thank you for uh, your word. We pray for the unbelieving one. that Today might be the day of salvation. Uh, We pray for um, marriages to be strengthened. Uh, We pray for husband and wife relationship, Lord. Pray, Lord, that you would bless this time together. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Title that I have given this sermon is A Few Instructions for the Christian Family. A few instructions for the Christian family. In order for Christians to have a complete, rich, full family life, they must first receive the exhortations that are found here in Colossians 3. You remember that Paul is in prison And he's given instructions to Christians he have never seen before. And after warning them to beware of wrong teachings, uh, to beware of how they're to live, he stops for a moment to deal with the family. And so in verses 18 through 21, Christians are given specific instructions for the Christian home. I want to be clear about that. 
The expectations from, for the Christian home is different from the world. So what do I mean? Not only are these instructions for the Christian home, but they are meant for Christian husbands and Christian wives. Let's um, put it another way. Uh, This has nothing to do with how society functions as a culture. It has nothing to do with manliness. It has nothing to do with women's liberation or social justice or politics. Instead, it has more to do about how the Christian family should function and live before the face of God. Have complete unity within the Christian home. God must be held in high esteem as sovereign ruler over all and ultimate provider of all things. Christians who wish to have all that God intends for them to have in a Christian family must rely upon what the scriptures teach. One of the main reasons why Christian families uh, do not experience all what God intends for them is because the scriptures are not always the authority over us. There are behaviors over our circumstances as well. When God is not in control over all things, we see the difficulties that believers can face because we're not trusting in God or relying upon his word only. So when one of the things we can consider is when we see the scripture using family metaphors to describe the unity and relationship between God and his people, it says to me that family matters to God. Family matters to God. And God deeply cares about the family unit. He cares about his creation. But what we mustn't miss is what's happening here by the work of the Spirit. God is changing the minds of his people from a cultural perspective to an act of obedience through a love for God. God is, in other words, dropping a bomb in the building because they're going to be receiving information that they're not used to. It's going to be different. And so think with me for a moment. The people were used to domestic rules that benefited men who were married. And these rules mainly came from Jewish and Greek laws and customs. For example, under the Jewish rules and laws, uh, married women were thought of as a possession belonging to their husbands. She was considered a thing like his property, his flocks, or any material possession. 
Wives had no legal protection whatsoever. Husbands could divorce their wives without just cause. In some cases, within the Greek culture, married women lived in women's apartment and could not join in many of the social activities that their husbands could. Women were made to live a life of seclusion. So this is the picture that Paul is developing the Christian family. All of this is going under, and under these rules, the husband claimed all the privileges, while the wives were obligated to keep their duties. So, With this background, the people are now about to hear for the first time some new domestic rules given by the Apostle Paul. And I'm assuming that they never heard the kind of teaching, this kind of teaching before, because they they never met Paul. And so, can you imagine how those women felt when they were addressed as equals. This is not a women's liberation movement. Instead, it's the work of the gospel. In other words, it's blood work. By the precious blood of Christ, these women were equals to their husbands. This is something they've never heard before. We're strange, if you would. Paul was saying to them, you're free. To say it another way, these wives were given back their freedom and is now considered privileged and equal with their husbands. To the world, marriage is a joke. To the believer, Marriage is God's blessed institution in which he ordained himself. It's a result of his decree. So I have a question. Do you see marriage as an institution created, sustained, and blessed of God? Or do you see it as just hard work with no benefits? Sometimes it feels that way, I think, huh? Um, but, but having a biblical view about marriage is very important because husband and wives need to think biblically about their roles within the institution. And so it's very important. For husband and wives, if they want the respect from one another out of the relationship. In other words, it's important for Christians to have the biblical view because we want to build on the right foundation. We have to be careful in not building on what mama said and what daddy said. Or I heard the sociologists or psychologists as Christians, if we want to have a Christian family, we have to do it God's way. And so, 
A biblical view of marriage is radical. Right? Because it's so different from the world. And this is what's happening in our text. Paul is calling them to a radical obedience for God. Look at verse 17. This kind of begins the process here. He says, and whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That means that verse 18 has a weightier meaning when we consider verse 17. And so let's read it together. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. In Colossians 3.18, Paul gave a word of exhortation to all the Christian women who were married, stating, wives, submit to your Husbands, how? As is fitting in the Lord. What do you think, or who do you think would have a problem with this teaching? Women who are unbelievers, more than likely, and women who seek equality on the basis of gender, rights, and power may have a problem with this, but this is not what we see here in Scripture. It's not about those things. This is not what the Word of God is teaching us today. This is the kind of teaching that harms and destroys marriages when we think about marriage in these kinds of ways, having to do with gender, having to do with rights and power. We must reject this teaching when it leaves out the biblical norm and practices, doesn't even consider the word of God, but it's rather focusing on position. Remember, it's, it's God's institution. And so if we want to receive the blessings that come from God, we have to know the instructions that was given for the institution that it might be all that God would have it to be. And so there's a, a need for us to be careful. The scripture teaches that Christian women ought to submit to their husbands. In the Greek, the word means to subject, to subordinate. It means to place or to rank under. To say this another way, if the Lord brings order and peace to the world, to a world of chaos and conflict, how much more should he bring order and peace to the Christian family? The one who is, according to his providence, moving and controlling all things that they might be done according to his perfect plan, surely knows how to deal with us. And the struggles that we have in our own families. Nothing is too hard for God. And so, this does not mean that Christian women are called to do things that are sinful, irrational, 
or harmful. Christian wives should submit to their husbands in the name of the Lord. We see this also in Ephesians 5.22 when it says, In a similar manner, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. You see the motivation there? The motivation is not the husband's. The motivation for submission is God. That's the key. According to these two verses, wives have her role in the marriage to be submissive. We're not to misunderstand that as weakness or to be ran over, or to not have an opinion, or to not say anything in the relationship. That's not what Paul is saying here. We'll see that this is a key doctrine to having a biblical marriage, but how many churches use it is very important. The question is, how do we use it? The danger is to fall in line with what society believes. Can men use it? When we talk about how women, wives who are married ought to be submissive, if they do, some Christians, if men talk about these things, uh, men um, in society, If they do, uh, some women will call their husband a male chauvinist. uh, An anti-feminist. Some have even called the Apostle Paul these names because he taught this in Scripture. Uh, We have to be truthful Those who believe in the doctrine of women liberation do not like this verse. And they would rather consider it as this is just more male dominance. That's all it is. But but in this, this is not really what Paul is talking about here. This is not Paul's agenda. He he doesn't want that. He is not trying to suppress women, and he doesn't want to exploit them either. Rather, he is calling these women to walk worthy to the Lord. He's emphasizing the need to imitate Christ. Paul is not teaching these women to be inferior to men. He's not calling them down down to a lower status. Paul is calling these women up to live up to their identity in Christ. Paul is trying to help them to understand that The deal is a sweet deal because of who Christ is. When you think about the big picture, when you see behind it all, it's a sweet deal. R.C. Sproul describes it like this. 
in creation, women is not called to the subordination of a slave to a tyrant. It is the subordination of a queen to a king. This is the picture here. He's trying to help women to see their identity as queens. So, in creation, he says, Adam and Eve are given uh, dominion over the earth. Together as God's deputy monarchs, they rule the earth. We see this in Genesis 1.28. He quotes, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds and the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Eve was created to be a queen, not a slave. Her role was that of a helpmate to her husband. She was to rule alongside him, not beneath him, alongside him. God made made sure that it would happen this way. God saw from the beginning what was happening to Adam in that he became lonely. So God, in his divine wisdom, gifted him a wife, not someone he can treat as a slave. God said in Genesis 2.18, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. When Adam saw his beautiful bride, he didn't say, slave, where is my dinner? Right? He he didn't say that and then said, honey. (laughs) No, Adam did not call to himself a slave but a queen. Instead, he said, this at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Unity is clearly the picture in play. Adam and Eve were one. There is equality. No one is inferior to the other. There is respect for one another. Both are equal except for one area, and that's the area of headship. Someone might be like, There's that word again. One one might, you could also say authority as well. Now, they, they both are valuable and they both have dignity, but the differ, the difference in their roles of, they differ in their roles of responsibility. It doesn't lose value. Just have different roles of responsibility. And men has nothing to do with that. That's something that was given to us, that's God God ordained. He gave that to the men. We don't know why. According to his divine plan, it was his plan. I mean, some of it we know why. Uh, It had to do with uh, the fall 
Also, we see a little bit of that coming in, but it wasn't a bad thing. The fall made things worse because of what happened, but it was supposed to be a sweet union, even though there were different roles of responsibility. So, stay with me now. When we think about these different roles, it does not mean less, right? It does not mean less, and I'm going to try to explain that. Um, I can say that because we see this in the, in the Trinity between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are one being in three persons. There's equality in the Godhead in every respect. No one person in the Godhead has more deity than the other. All are equal and fully God. Three persons, one God. All are equal. Didn't the Father send the Son to die on the cross to redeem sinners? It wasn't the other way around. It was the cross. There was the Son who went to the cross so that he might save sinners by giving his life. And didn't the Father and the Son send the Holy Spirit? So you see, what we have here is the Son submits to the Father because of his willingness to please the Father in loving obedience. And likewise, with the Spirit, there's no inferior motives. We have different roles, but we have the Son submitting to the Father and the Spirit submitting to the Father and the Son without losing anything. So in many cases, when we think about this relationship, we see that there's a willingness, right? There's motivations. There's desire to do those things that is good and just. And in many cases, uh, that's what we're called to, to be willing to, to do these things out in our, ourselves in the relationships that we have. And so this is a call and a charge for all Christians to obey Christ. How should Christian women submit to their husbands? The rest of the verse says, as is fitting in the Lord. Um, in other words, wives ought to follow the example of the church submitting to Christ. We see this in Ephesians 5.24. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husband. So, ladies, will you take your God-given role as a queen to your husband as his equal except in the area of headship? And will you submit as it is fitting to the Lord? This is what the scripture teaches us. Times there would be, would be hard times. And, and times when there's disagreement. And times where you might know that he's wrong. It might just be a time when 
You disagree on the how. The question that we have is what would be the motivation in how you respond? That's the ongoing practice. That's the ongoing discipline. The ultimate goal is to submit as unto the Lord, that which is fitting. And it doesn't mean that you have to become something else in order to uh, be in the relationship and have a voice. You've been given God's uh, place. You've been given in the marriage. God has given you a place and a role, and you can work within that. The husband has a responsibility as well. A husband, God-given headship over his wife. And I want us to understand that this is a higher calling. It's a high, high calling. Ephesians 5.23, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself Savior. Headship, one one way it's defined is the quality of being in a position of leadership or guidance. Headship has to do with God's relation to this created world and to his ordering of relationships within it. Headship among human beings does not necessarily signify superior status, but rather a role of leadership and care. Scripture sees it as involving servanthood and views Jesus Christ as the supreme model. We see in verse 19, the text says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. To, To these men, here we go again. What are you saying? What, what, what is this, right? So these men saw the radical nature of their calling to follow Christ. They had now been expected to love like they had never loved before. This was brand new to them. How was they expected to love their Wives, not erotically, not as a friend, but they were expected to agape them. They were to agape their wives. These Christian husbands were commanded to love their wives with a sacrificial, unceasing, ever caring that was entirely committed to their wives. This is The call. The men had no idea that they were supposed to love in this way. Let's listen again to the parallel passage. If you would, turn with me to Ephesians 5 as I read. We're going to see a picture here. We're going to see a picture of what 
love looks like and what's supposed to happen, how husbands are supposed to live. Ephesians 5, beginning at verse 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man should leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you Love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And so to summarize, the husband must become one with his wife in such a way he is mindful and willing to embody himself into her emotional and mental well-being. In other words, we got to be like um, one who digs up the grave, an archaeologist. And we got to dig for the treasures in our wives so that we might love them the more. I'm talking to the men. We have a calling to reach for Christ in such a way in service and in sacrifice and the the picture that we have is to be like Christ, the one who is perfect. This is the example for us and this is our calling. Husband is to love his wife like his own body. We know that it can, be, it can be achieved because the scripture commands us to it. It's not impossible. The scripture says so, and it commands us, and so we must do it. Kent Hughes tells a beautiful story of how this is possible. He states, Dr. Robert Seizure, in his book, More Mortal Lessons, Notice, notes in The Art of Surgery, tells of performing surgery to remove a tumor in which it was necessary to sever a facial nerve, leaving a young woman's mouth permanently twisted in palsy. And in Dr. Caesar's own words, her young husband is in the room. He stands on the opposite side of the bed, and together 
They seem to dwell in the evening lamp light, isolated from me, he says, private. Who they are, I ask myself. He and this rift mouth I have made, who gazed at the touch, each other so generously, greedily. The young woman speaks, Will my mouth always be like this, she she asks. Yes, I say, it will. It is because the nerve was cut. And she nods and is silent. But the young man smiles. I like it, he says. It's kind of cute. All at once, I know who he is. Just in the conversation, Dr. Seeger is saying, I know who this is. He says, I understand. And so he goes on to say, I lower my gaze. I got a feeling like it's as if he was looking over his glasses. Like I can't believe this. He says, one is not bold in an encounter with a God, unmindful. He bends to kiss her crooked mouth, and I so close can see how he twists his own lips to accommodate hers to show her that his kiss still works, unquote. He didn't remove his love on the basis of her appearance. He maneuvered his love so that he might meet her in his love. You see, it is possible to love our wives as ourselves. That means that husbands must make it their life's goal to love, understand, and care for their wives. And men must do it to the death. In other words, we must work at it constantly. Husbands must put the time in to know, we must put the time in to know our wives. Because our wives are changing all the time. Because they're growing up in Christ. They're changing all the time. Researchers believe that the top two things that is necessary in a marriage is friendship and likability. And they're persuaded that if you work on these two things, you have a lasting relationship. You have an ever-growing relationship. It's stated by some that to enjoy one's spouse as a best friend and like them as a person helps in making for in keeping the marriage going. It's as if one is putting logs on the fire and pouring oil at the same time so that the fire might continue to burn. What are we investing in our marriages and in our relationships so that the fire might keep going? What are the intents 
What are those special moments that you're planning just for your spouse? Not because they have done something, but it just formulates out of love. Proverbs, listen to the wisdom in Proverbs 18, 13. If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. We, we need to hear this because sometime in our relationships, we don't listen to one another. Right? And, and what happens is people get hurt because they feel like you're not hearing them. You're not listening. Right? And so this is a skill, men, that we have to work on because I think God just gifted women. They... They able to recall things that I didn't, we don't even know we said. Yeah, they say on Tuesday at 5 o'clock, you was, God have gifted them in a certain way. And so as men, we must pay attention and listen so that we might care for them. That, that's what love does. Love, love digs, if you would. And the more we dig and find more about our wives, we're going to have what we need to love them. We're going to have the information. We're going to know what makes them tick. We're going to know what they enjoy. We're going to know how to make their day. We're going to have these opportunities. And so we must make sure that we practice these things. Howard Hendricks describes it in this way when he says, if we don't listen, this is what it is. Marriage sometimes, marriage is sometimes the dialogue of the deaf, unquote. It's a reminder that we must listen. For men, our headship has been affected by the fall. We have to remember that. That we're, we're not who we need to be because we've been Affected by the fall. And so there's a still living in us a natural inclination to not love our wives as we ought to. So that means that we have to plan. We have to be more purposeful. We have to be intentional that we might love our wives well. This is not what the world is saying. Right? So what I'm trying to say is that for success, we need divine assistance. Husbands, according to our text, how should the husband's headship be exercised? The text says that husbands are to love their wives. Christ is our example on how we are to love our wives. It's from a position of service to the point of death. The Lord stated this, and we see a picture of this. When he was on mission in Mark 10, 45, he states, for even the son of man came not to be served. But to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is who we're following. We're following the Christ. So men, we, we must at all times be willing to die for our wives not a one-off. That's not what the Scripture is saying. The Scripture is not saying just be ready in case you have to die. 
The scripture is calling us higher. The scripture is calling us to die daily on a regular basis. Not just to stand in the way if a shooter comes in and die for your family, die for your wife. But he means today, tomorrow, and ongoing. That's the picture here. And so this is the kind of love Paul is trying to communicate. Anne Morrow Lindbergh describes love in this way. She states, To be deeply in love is, of course, a great liberating force and the most common experience that frees. Ideally, both members of a couple in love free each other to new and different worlds. I was no exception to the general rule. The sheer fact of finding myself loved was unbelievable and changed my world. My feelings about life and myself, I was given confidence, strength, and almost a new character. The man I was to marry believed in me and what I could do. And consequently, I found I could do more than I realized. Love is a powerful, powerful work. Love is a work of action. She explained in a basic sense that love, love looks, what love looks like to her, When both partners are loving one another in four, there's no limit how far their love would take them. That's where sacrificial love can take our relationships. True sacrificial love is never one-sided, benefiting one person in the marriage. What else does Loving our wives include. It includes praying daily for our wives with the most deepest and most knowledgeable prayers we can pray. If we're going to do that, we must know them. And men, this, this can't happen unless we know them in an understanding way. That's what Peter teaches us. 1 Peter 3, 7, it states how men ought to love their wives. The text says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you in the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. We should never be harsh with our wives. The command is given. So that means that we don't talk to our queens any kind of way. We talk to them as one who has equality, as one who has respect, as one who is meaningful to us, the one that matters to us is to love them well. It doesn't mean we won't get angry. 
But if we do and we misspeak, we want to deal with it and we want to keep short accounts. Why? Because ultimately, God is in the picture. Right? When a man finds a wife, he finds a good thing. And if we're going to be loving our wives and ourselves, then we don't go around mistreating ourselves in the sense of not feeding ourselves and taking care of ourselves, things of that nature. But there's a certain care. There are certain things that we're willing to sacrifice so that we might take good care. And so, we must know them deeply and pray for them with precise intention to the glory of God. Well, we have these. These are the two radical calls husbands and wives, and we're going to continue next on the children and servants. But these are two radical calls that we've been called to. And now we get to apply what we have heard or what we've been reminded of. Some, some of us may be in, in, in a good space. Some of us may not. Some of us, we need to add to what we're already doing. So what do we have here? On the one hand, women, Christian women, are called to submit as unto the Lord. And on the other hand, men are are called to love in the same sacrificial way that Christ did. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for your word, and we pray that you would help us to apply the principles that are found within We pray that you would help us as men to love our wives as Christ loved the church. And we pray, Lord, for um, uh, uh, Christian uh, wives, Lord, that you would help them, Lord, to submit to their husbands and to honor you from a place, Lord God, uh, of equality, Lord God. Uh, We pray, Lord, that you would continue to bless uh, this institution, Lord, and may you receive the glory and honor. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.